Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Angela. This is Books Are Books Good. Are actually. actually. And for this month of April, we read the um, assassination of Fred Hampton. And there's a subtitle that I always forget. <laughs> um, but anyway, this is by uh, Haas, Jeremy. Yes. Jeffrey. Jeffrey Haas. Jeffrey Haas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Usually referred to as me in the book. <laughs> <laughs> me and I in the book. Yes. Um, so I, which version of the book did you get? I have an updated edition, which came out 2019. So, uh, I do not have that edition. Okay. So he I'm had pretty a, sure I have the 2009 edition. Okay. That, so um, I got from sources from sources yes. that he cannot divulge. Um, there's a, a library that was at the beginning of the Bible, um, Library of Genesis, I think. Well, congrats. You got into a very exclusive library, probably. <laughs> it's, no, it's it's open to the public. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. So at the beginning of my edition of the book, uh, I have a preface and it's like 2019 edition preface. So it was just a lot of like, we have this election coming up and blah, blah, blah. And it's like Bernie Sanders. And I'm just like, oh, no. Oh. Oh, you oh. poor thing. Yeah. I'm just like, well, good I'm to glad know. you have hope. Yeah. So uh, that <laughs> that was that. Anyway, let's. Uh, it's good to know that he's still alive. Yes, exactly. Um, I anyway. also uh, wish that I had read this book in 20, early 2014 because I stopped in Chicago as a part of my uh, cross-country trip and it would have been really interesting to visit uh, 2337 and it also would have been really interesting to visit the PLO headquarters. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, anyway so... Uh, before we get into um, each section and the discussions there, what was your prior knowledge of Fred Hampton, Black Panther Party, and his murder? So I am aware of Fred Hampton primarily from the episode that the dollop did on Fred Hampton's life, um, which uh, we'll link to in the show notes. Um, I am aware of the Black Panther Party both from that dollop episode as well as generally in um, high school education and m more recently just a re re uh, not not readdressing but recorrection of their uh, public image that has occurred I, I feel like in the past five or six years uh, prior to that um, my my understanding of the, the Black Panther Party was almost nil. Okay. Yourself? Um, so I knew of Fred Hampton, I think, due to you know high school or middle school education, and I recall Cointel Pro as a oh, sure. um, but I didn't really make the connection between that and his murder. For uh, sure. Yeah. And then um, 
I didn't really know about the people, you know, people's law office or anything like that. Um, and it's funny because like I have family in Chicago, but like this, I this this was never really discussed. So hmm. I pretty much came in pretty ignorant of, you know, um, what was um, going I, on. Yeah, what was really going on. Also, I think the other time I've uh, did any listening was to Behind the Bastards about his assassination, and that was mainly it. Uh. Why didn't I find, why didn't I think of that? Of course they would do an episode. Yeah, um, but I don't recall all the legal battle parts. It was mainly the focus on how did they organize the, like his early life and then how did they go, like set up this assassination. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's pretty much my thing. Um, also, I didn't realize when I started this book that this was his, like their lawyer. I didn't realize that. I picked up on that pretty quick. After like a chapter or so. Yeah, yeah. But, think- yeah. No, it it's from the title, it's like you feel like this is going to be like 80% about like Fred Hampton and then the assassination. And it sort of is, but it's in the same way that like Helter Skelter is about the the Manson murders. But it's from the perspective of the person trying the the Manson family and the the effort to get evidence and the effort to create the case. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I didn't realize this was the person who actually, you know, uh, was a you know the lawyer for the Panthers. And I thought overall, um, you know, this book is kind of also a part memoir, right? Just you know, based on. You know, talking about his life and stuff. I did find it really funny. I guess we're just like the all right talk, court proceedings, blah blah blah. So I got a divorce, and I'm just like, what? Yeah, <laughs> like, it was, that was always like out of left field when he's like, and this this woman lawyer showed up and started working at the PLO, and she put her boots on the table, and I was just like, we're gonna fuck. Yeah, that was always just. I was like. I'm glad you're getting some. This is so, like, what? Anyway, whole point is, is that Jeffrey can definitely fuck. So that's what I also learned from this book. At least twice he fucks, because he has two kids. Uh, he has four kids. He, remember, he divorced, <laughs> Holy shit. He divorced yeah. Maggie and then got right. with her. Yep, yeah. And that is after the prior divorce when they split over politics because yeah. he wanted to be more radical and she was like, I'm okay being just here. Yeah, which it's what's interesting is that um, I don't feel like he went any more radical than, but maybe he didn't express that. He it was really more focused on the, the overall case. I guess maybe mm-hmm. he felt he was going more radical because he was siding with the Black Panther Party and maybe to her, she was like, well, they're sounding a bit more radical. And he's like, nah. But like, the, while they were married, like, he was defending the Black Panther Party. Yeah. And so like, maybe she changed as like the early yeah. 70s were going on and like the 60s had turned into like speed and cocaine and heroin instead of LSD and mushrooms yeah it could uh, be. yeah i don't know all right so let's um her down and question her about oh her goodness. life choices oh my god let's not all right so let's uh go you know 
um, kind of section-ish by section. So early life, um, you know, Jeffrey kind of described how he grew up in the South. Uh, he wasn't sure about being a lawyer. He decided to go into the army. And then... Can we back up for a second? Yes. He's growing up in the South section made me feel like I know he's on the right side of things, but I'm just like, did every white person in the South who had any amount of money just like hire black help and like refuse to treat them as people? Because if so, gross. I... Buy me a time machine and buy me a fucking nuke. <laughs> All right. Uh, as Jimmy told me earlier, he's going to say things that were pretty spicy. So that's one on the spicy counter. Um, yeah. This, so... this book fucked me up, honestly. Like, especially in light of like everything that. Okay, sorry. We'll we'll save that for the end. Okay. Um, so he grew up in the South. He hit his family was pretty middle class. His dad used to work for a civil rights um, lawyer. Middle his, class and Jewish in the South. Yes, which is pretty already fucking rough. Um, yes. Obviously, he like obviously he kind of passed right. Like he mentioned, he never really got any discrimination or anything like that, yes. or had that as a problem. Um, and then. You have Fred Hampton, who um, his family came from the South, and I believe his mom was from Shaker, um, Shaker Heights uh, in Ohio, which is interesting because my mom also grew up in that area. And um, so Fred was born in Louisiana. Yeah. Okay. So Fred was born in Louisiana, and they moved to Chicago. So, um, and his parents were very big Union folks, so he like really grew up around you know other you know, um, his parents kind of being union uh, organizers and, you know, being part of the union. So he got it from them, you know, facing um, adversity and other stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, and then he, Fred also helped with uh, the schools where he helped like racial tensions there with like black and white students and other Latin like, and uh, Latino students. Um, yes. To a point where the principal, I think, called him back a couple times to help with issues there. Yes. And I created a club, too, while in high school. He did. And he also organized to get uh, the local pool to be um, integrated. Yeah. Heavily. And he also helped to try to get um, a Black girl nominated for prom queen. Yes. So he... Obviously, as like a young person, started help organizing and like being involved with, um, you know, racial justice and trying to like bridge communities. So um, I believe he got involved uh, with the NAACP, the youth uh, faction, yes, and then for yeah, for Chicago. Um, and then I don't super recall how he uh, joined up with the Panthers necessarily. I believe they just saw him speaking at, at various things and approached him. Yeah. So um, also I think Fred kind of got disillusioned with the NAACP a little bit. Like they said they were good, but there was just times where he was like, I don't. Oh, it was because of the Vietnam War. They were mm -hmm. kind of hesitant about um, speaking out against that. Um mm -hmm 
because Dr. King, like during that time, got assassinated just after he t- spoke out against the Vietnam War. So they were like, sure. "Yo, we can't say any. Like, we really need to step back from this, even though we probably." If anything, that's more of an indication that you should push forward. Yeah. Um, also, um, he instead of saying like peace in Vietnam, it was like became victory in Vietnam. Um, yes. And he kind of victory for the Viet Cong. Viet Cong. Vietnam. Yeah. So yeah. he became. I think he also started reading a lot more uh, Marxist literature. So it was. hundred oh, percent. Yeah. Um, which against the NAACP, which are very, it's still a very, like Christian. Fucking lives. Yeah. So, um, you know, he joined yeah. a Black Panther. Good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's. One of those things of um, you have to, there's some criticism for the NAACP because most of it is due to, are they only looking for the, um, the looking out for middle-class black folks mm-hmm. and the black PMC. Um, say it again. The black PMC professional managerial class. Uh, yes. And um, it's just, uh, that's a valid critique and it's, They've done a lot of good, but at the same time, what are they doing right now? Um, and I, I know I'm making a really reductive statement right there because some people say, sure. no, they're doing a lot, of, you know, they're putting money towards a lot of um, things right now. But as a lot of folks, a lot of other black folks have said or who are more leftists saying, well, we can't have black capitalism as our end goal. Like we can't yes. be free if we do black capitalism. So not only that, but like just expanding from there, like we can't have growth and capitalism if we want to deal with climate change in in a really truly like broad manner. Right. But um, that's another discussion for another time. Yeah. And then uh, for Jeffrey, he essentially went into the army, got out because of Vietnam, and then which is a weird thing to say. It's yeah. Like, got out because of Vietnam. Yeah. And then um, he I went specifically, to. Like his, his regiment was never called of like yeah. reserves. Yeah. And then um, he uh, decided to become a lawyer after hearing, or I think he went to law school and kind of wasn't sure what he wanted to do really like afterwards. Because. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was like was sort of there was like a, a parental pressure because his dad was the lawyer too. Yes, and I think he heard like Dr. King's like speaking, and he decided to um, try to civil rights lawyer. So uh, he moved up to Chicago, and um, he or sorry, he was in Chicago mm-hmm. uh, taking the bar exam. And that's where you met Mary. Mary. His first wife. So, uh, and then he kind of helped open the PLO. Um, I'm trying to figure out if there he was. Kind of helped. He was like one of the four founders. Yeah, four founders. I say kind of helped because I was like, did he, which thing came first? So I'm looking real quick, but yeah. So he opened the PLO and um, from there, just for context, mm-hmm. like the PLO were um, the People's Law Office. They essentially were living on like $100 a week. They were living in essentially commune housing 
um, they were like, as far as law organizations go, like they're probably one of the best in the country. I mean, I'm not like well-rounded as far as like what law organizations exist and what are their goals and who are they trying to help? But like, they, as far as lawyers go, they're they're the real fucking deal. Yeah. So I think Jeffrey and some other, I think you've heard um, Fred speak at like church a couple times. So he was like on board. He was also connected through Mary, the, yeah. whose um, film organization um, was uh, making a film about Fred Hampton. But yeah. they didn't have an ending. The ending, spoilers, ended up being his murder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, as we, so we'll kind of move into the Black Panther Party and the PLO. So, the Black Panther Party in Chicago, um, they were kind of different from the West Coast faction in that. They made sure that women had a pretty big presence and leadership roles because Fred found that really important. Um, specifically, like, spoke out against women being objectified or viewed as, like, sex objects or, like, things to be bartered about for, like, like favors or whatnot. Yeah. Um, they also sold newspapers they also did the, the newspapers um, uh, were from the West Coast and they okay. were disseminated yeah. to all Black Panther parties. And actually, um, that's important to uh, note for what we'll discuss later. Yeah. And they had the also did the breakfast um, for children program. Um, they also had education classes for Black history and also. Um, Marxism, like Marxism. Um, mm -hmm. And th it's interesting because um, later on, and I think it was Deborah um, who mentioned that they talked about guns, but didn't really actually have any classes on how to use guns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, there was that kind of like, you know, that discrepancy of like, oh, yeah, you know, these are really armed well-trained individuals and it turns out not no <laughs> they really weren't yeah um so first mistake clearly and uh to anyone listening uh arm yourself and train yourself so um let's see he i guess also with the between a different there wasn't like a beef but obviously um, some of the Panthers were kind of black nationalists and Fred and those folks kind of didn't really get along. He pretty much called them uh, dashiki nationalists. So mm -hmm. and that was from, interesting. From what um, we'll bring up later, there was some division between them and the the Nation of Islam, which was also headquartered at, in Chicago as well at the time. Yeah, I didn't realize we were also headquartered in Chicago, so it was just like, holy shit. A lot shit. of shit was popping off in Chicago. Yeah, for sure. So the People's Law Office, um, let's see, I just actually went to that chapter. Um, I think their big thing um, 
was to represent the um, Latino gangs. Not Latino gangs. Well, they they did like work to represent them. They also worked to represent the Weathermen. Yes. For um, uh, arrests that were made as a part of the uh, Chicago Seven protests. Right. For the Chicago Eight protests, like this story touches on like so many different like revolutionary like groups and events because like the chicago seven chicago eight was like abby hoffman and the yuppies and bobby seal um uh who is a part of the black panthers if i'm remembering correctly um like that case involved bobby seal being like tied to a chair and gagged and tortured by members of the um like the courts marshals um and also the once bobby seal's case was separated from the chicago seven because they were they were tied together initially as a part of the um the protests against the 1968 uh, presidential election, like Democratic National Convention, but they were they were separated for reasons I can't recall right now. Um, but then the Chicago Seven um, continued on, and there were there was the reading of the the Vietnamese dead as a part of their trial. Yeah, um, I remember that. Which, um, fuck you, Aaron Sorkin. Um, yeah. Uh, that's that's all I'm gonna say on that. Um, but so that was tied in to the weathermen who the PLO represented. The PLO represent because the weathermen were protesting the the treatment of the Chicago Seven, Chicago Eight. Um, they they also represented various gangs in in Chicago, and then they represented the Black Panther Party. Yeah, at least initially. Yeah. So very fucking busy ass office and also like they um what was interesting is that they also as jimmy mentioned earlier they all lived in like a commune they all voted together um it was interesting because he kind of it seemed like i mentioned like yeah you know living all together and like being free with drugs and sex and everything and it was like good but at the same time some like personality clashes and i'm just like okay like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. good to know that story as old as time so yeah yeah i mean i you find it in in everything from law communes to cults to rasputin to what have you like you you introduce commune living and and uh sexual like free love and there's there's going to be some conflict yeah which is unfortunate, but unfortunate. Uh, pe- people need to get over their egos. Yeah. So, okay, I think that's probably enough background-ish, if, unless you want to add additional commentary. Um, so prior to the murder, um, Fred Hampton had been elevated to the leader of the Chicago Black Panther Party. Um, he was in line to become the leader of the Illinois Black Panther Party. 
um, in the event that the leader of the Black Panther Party of Illinois uh, went to jail um, or was taken out in some way. Um, he was a, an electrifying speaker. He was uh, very obviously well-read in his Marxist-Leninist literature. Um, and he was actively working to court various gangs in uh, the city to try and coordinate with them uh, against the police and against the um, the city's uh, well-to-do at large. Um, his his programs were very successful, and it, it was to the point where um, membership to the Chicago Black Panther Party was on a wait list because of how. Uh, electrifying Fred was. Um, and it's it's interesting to, to think about what could have been had he not been assassinated um, or if he had been more discerning in those who he brought into his um, immediate circle. Yeah, I think Deborah or one of the other folks mentioned may have been trying at all that they had so many people enter in that they really couldn't suss people out yes so which and, is unfortunate yes and that is is a tale as old as time for every revolutionary group there is there is that stressor of how large do we get and if we get so large that we're we're talking to everyday people about our our goals and our ends, how do we vet those who are, we're coming into contact with? And more often than not, I personally I fall on the side of keep your cell very very tight because uh, it's it's usually going to be that. Uh, someone is is an arc yeah so his murder that occurred on december 4th 1969 occurred at 4 a.m which is odd because most raids like if you get a warrant you do it at 8 p.m because it's more mostly safe um the police officers use their own guns and, and just for context like there had been prior raids on Black Panther Party offices and locations where the police department or the FBI had called them to notify them of the raid. And they had participated without violence, allowing the police to engage in the raid. So so this was a, a specific choice to go at 4 a.m. Yep. Um, at 4 a.m. with guns that are like the person like the officer's own personal weapons so there was a machine gun and no one said in various anything. random calibers yeah various random calibers stuff like that um they apparently knocked and then immediately just started firing um as you and, do yep uh and i believe someone came in through the back door or like back of the um i believe the, it was comedy yeah came in through the back, uh, figured out, not figured out, sorry, came into the back, went to the bedroom, took Deborah out, or had someone take Deborah out, and then he, two shots into yeah. Fred. And 
to to elaborate further on this, like uh, with the first shots through the door, they killed one member, Mark Clark. Um, they then proceeded through the living room with police both firing inside and firing from outside. Um, various members of the Chicago Black Panther Party were injured, um, shot in the hands and the guts, and uh, one individual was shot through his penis. Uh, and then um, there were four individuals who had made their way to the bed, uh, three individuals, oh, no, excuse me, sorry, two individuals who had made their way to the bedroom, one who was awake in the bedroom, and one who was Fred Hampton, semi-conscious in the bedroom. Uh, the three individuals who were in the bedroom, one of which was Deborah, was removed, and then Fred was shot twice at, within two feet of his skull. Yep, and they dragged him out, which you um, in terms of a police shooting, you always try to secure the area for evidence, but they dragged his body out, said he's dead, and left. Yes, left and had a photograph taken of them carrying his body out with yeah. members of the police smiling. Yeah. So obvi like, obviously this isn't some type of you know raid gone wrong they didn't arrest anybody else there wait yeah they did, yeah, they did. and then they yeah they took him to, sorry i just was like derp uh they yeah they took him to jail um they handcuffed uh was a doc to his hospital bed after they finally got him yeah of the so basically anyone who was injured um went to the hospital and but they were hospital uh they were uh, handcuffed to the beds in the hospital. So, um, you know, uh, if you looked at the picture of the photograph that they had, it was just fucking trashed in there. Like, it looked like a like it bomb, like got bombed out, essentially. Absolutely. So, um, Hanoran had his press conference. He had a bunch of guns and said, yep, we, you know, we confiscated these guns for that raid. And Good job, us. Good job to our officers. They almost didn't make it out. Yeah, the the Black Panthers were shooting so many shells, and they they demanded that we shoot it out. Yep, shoot it out. We got to shoot it out. So, um, you know, there was the initially uh, papers just ran it like straight. There's no questions. It was like, yeah, the police said there was this you know, big shootout and Panther leader is dead and he shot twice or whatever. And mm -hmm. they just totally took it at face value. Um, some newspapers were very skeptical and like they went, like they went to actual, um, you know, 2337 and went to go look. And since they didn't really secure the crime scene, which, you know, they, people like walk through mm -hmm figure out you know and see for themselves which is like yeah this is what you get to clarify didn't really not at all they did not secure yeah. the crime scene all right they yeah did not stop to collect evidence that was entirely done by a member of the plo the day after on camera yeah to verify that like this was happening like 
the day after there was no tampering with the evidence like it was just routinely collected and well not routinely but by the books collected and documented yeah so like the gall of the chicago police department were like yeah we don't have to clean up any of this shit because we're just going to get away with it because we also have the fbi backing us so it's all good um however what no one really accounted for was the church committee because um yeah i guess that's kind of more in the legal battle part but like a bunch of other machinations like were kind of going on and the church committee uh releasing papers that it did led to the other trial but yes yeah the, the exposure of cointel pro and the uh implication that the nixon administration and the fbi had actively uh attempted to put down or subvert um various revolutionary and in particular black revolutionary organizations yes so I guess we want to move into the legal battle part, or do we have anything else to cover for the overall murder? Mm, let me skim through. Yeah, no, I, I think it, um, I think we're ready to go on to the legal battle. Yeah. The legal battle is probably the biggest chunk of this book. Like this is, if you've ever had any, um, like, uh, yes, the American justice system is fair and equal. <laughs> This will probably destroy it. Yeah, this will. Shit, you're wrong. Yeah. Um, This makes me like, uh, we can talk about this later, Angela, but we have a friend who is uh, a member of uh, the state's uh, legal representation. And I'm like, do I like address them to read this book? Do I just tell them, like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you can't change this from the inside. Things cannot be changed from the inside. We have seen that time and time again. They must be destroyed and rebuilt. But that's a, that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> All right. So there are I, three cases for that cover Fred Hampton. So... The first one is the grand jury. Um, and if you've, uh, grand juries are bullshit. So it's always fun when it's like, ah, grand jury time. Mm-hmm. Let's see what dumb things happen. Um, the thing is like grand juries are also different per state, right? And then mm-hmm. um, each have a very specific thing that they're trying to do. And mm-hmm. that's where it gets to me kind of confusing. Um, perhaps that's the whole point, but Hanoran was a prosecutor who this the the state prosecutor who was guiding and organizing the Chicago Police Department for this raid. I think they were trying to persecute the Panthers that were at the raid to say that they fired attempted murder. And As a part of the grand jury. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, the prosecutor. Uh, what's his butt? He was technically part of the FBI. Leonard? Leonard. Um, That's his last name, by the way. The way that Haas wrote him was like, he came off like, oh, maybe things will 
be okay like not great mm-hmm. but just kind of like all right well he doesn't seem nearly as antagonistic as Hanoran is semi-sympathetic yes so there's a lot of hubbub over the victims testifying you know they were trying to figure out okay if we testify we need to kind of make sure our if we testify we don't want to look very um the black panthers to look bad and mm-hmm. however they didn't want to re-victimize the victim like go through that entire thing again mm-hmm. and then the charges got dropped like everything got dropped yes which confused them we will later find out that leonard was essentially in the pocket of the fbi specifically guiding them to not consider the position of the black panthers or really the reality of the situation. Yeah. Uh, he essentially convinced Hanoran to, cause like Hanor, cause the thing is like Hanoran wanted to like destroy them. So once um, also he wanted this victory because he was trying to get reelected and then go on to be a mayor. Um, so he, for him politically, it would look good if, that you know the grand jury would prosecute them and then like it got dropped and he was not actually happy about that um mm-hmm. so then the church committee stuff came out and then cointel pro became a thing so uh they read through like the papers and stuff like that and they found the thing with them um uh how to disrupt uh black uh groups and they're like oh Specifically naming the Black Panther Party. Yeah. As a part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were, you know, PLO, uh, Jeffrey and Flint. Um, sorry, Haas and Flint. I should say both last names as they say in the book. Um, were, or is it Tyler? Flint Tyler? Whatever. Flint and Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. I think Flint is always the last name. Anyway, they essentially... Um, I guess there's a couple of things beforehand because there's a bunch of like other contextual things that happen. One, they defended um, Black Panthers um, from that one shooting. Peoria. Yeah, Peoria. And then there was also Attica Which, that happened. Yes, yes. Um, so just for context, in the book it's mentioned, and I, I looked it up, Peoria is closer to Mississippi than to Chicago. And it's still in Illinois. Illinois is fucking huge. Yeah, Illinois is big. Um, you get a lot of people who um, drive from like St. Louis to Chicago as their commute, from, like Missouri. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So. Ugh. Yeah, it's quite a drive, so, but. Um, so one, uh, the defense of the uh, Peoria three, um, is successful, uh, but then two, yeah, they are defending. Uh, members of the Attica Uprising, which you'll frequently find referred to as the Attica Riot. Um, But that was a prison uprising as a result of the death of George Jackson, who was a revolutionary and uh, prison abolitionist who had been murdered um, in... 1970 i believe so i feel like yeah um 
we'll link to a discussion of George Jackson's Blood in My Eye, The Black Colony, Revolutionary Strategy, and Dual Power. Uh, he, um, after his murder, there were a number of uh, teach-ins, sit-ins, and then the uprising at Attica Prison, which resulted in the New York State Police murdering dozens of people and taking back the control of the prison. Yeah, so during the, uh, as I put in my notes, the long-ass one, uh, PLO wasn't really making a lot of money during this time. They were, they had a bunch of other, uh, some other lawyers and like other folks like join up and mm -hmm. um, they were doing this based on kind of like, you know, to help um, Ham the Hamptons family and the Clark family. So, yeah. and they and had also a couple of like criminal cases that, that like kept them floating, but they, they were looking at like a hundred dollars a week per um, PLO lawyer. Yeah, I think it got down to like 50 bucks a week or something. It got pretty, pretty dire. Really tight. And it was basically kept afloat by um, some of the PLO lawyer's parents who gave them various loans and gifts. Yeah. So I guess I'm going, I'm going to um, uh, cliff note the long ass one. Jimmy, you can you know, butt in with commentary or anything else. Um, so essentially, thanks to church committee, they're like, hey, there is a um, case against the FBI to potentially um, uh, for this connection. Uh, I'm, they had to go to, not the Supreme Court, that was later. Um, oh man, I forgot how it actually got initially started. So they made, yeah, I think Seventh Circuit was later, though. Um, or was it the first one, too? They went to the Seventh Circuit a lot. Okay. Whole point is, is that they had, you know, sufficient evidence to implicate the Chicago Police Department um, and the FBI to um, the, that this was a planned assassination. Um, mm -hmm. So they went to Discovery. They talked to Mitchell. Oh. I think prior to that, they were they were dismissed as a criminal suit. Yes. And so then they began a civil suit. Yes, which has less stringent um, uh, like hurdles to get over. Mm -hmm. So. And also wider discovery. Yeah, wider discovery. Yeah. So they went to into discovery. They talked to Mitchell. Mitchell being the um, Chicago FBI agent that was the handler for the informant and the Black Panther Party. Correct. And then they were trying to bring out CoinTelPro a lot, and the FBI's lawyer was like, shut the fuck up. That is and the judge was like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. So... Uh, they did a discovery. They started the case. This case went on for uh, 18 months. It was in front of and a... Initially, as discovery went on for 18 months. Yes. Yeah, discovery went on for 18 months. And I think the court proceedings was another 18 months, right? I feel like the court proceedings went on for longer than that. Okay. I feel like they were at 
like seven years before they went to appeals. Okay. So yeah. So they, uh, um, my apologies. Um, everyone who's listening, find a judge near you and just redact summary them. redacted them. So, um, the, they did the jury. The jury was majority white. There was only one black person, black woman and there. The judge, the judge refused them to have additional like striking ability based on surveys they had done, which like proves that for the the state of Illinois, like they were going to run into a shitload of racist people. Yeah. So that was again that was already stacked against them, besides Judge Perry. And then um as they were doing calling up their witnesses, they um also come to find out that I think through Mitchell that there was other FBI files that were essentially hidden from them. And the FBI came in with like rows and rows and rows and like yeah. a huge cart yeah. of stuff. And I think it was like 30 feet worth of bookshelves of files. Yes. So, you know, uh, Hass and, and Tyler, sorry, well, I keep going back and forth. Anyway, their lawyers were like, well, we need more. Yeah. Um, we need to go to like, we need to be able to um, like have time to go through all this because this was fucking hidden from us. And Perry is like, well, no, that, fuck no, you. no, you don't. Um, so after like they half time, like he's like, okay, I'll give you like half time or whatever, you know, to, to go like two weeks, maybe a week. Yeah. And then was like, you can read it during your lunch and like after court. Yeah. So I, th I think from these files, they found the map. The map and also the uh, request for payment for the informant. Yeah. And, and that bonus. A couple other things. The bonus for yes. O'Neill. So um, they find this and um, the thing that they found was starting to make puzzles together for the conspiracy is that this, um, the way that the file system for the FBI is that they have three copies in three different locations. And um, I thought it was um, every location got a copy. Oh, yeah. So every location yes. had a copy. And then that, so if you, sir, instance, there's a Fred Hampton file, but that also has some reference to the Black Panther file too. Yeah. And that file would also have another thing for like, um nationalism. yeah so nationalism. yeah so the thing is is that this uh, map was only in one file mm -hmm. which means that someone could have just easily gone and destroy it and no one would have known so um almost like they purposefully did it yeah um so they um brought back up Mitchell, I think, and asked about... No, they brought up Groth and were like, how did you get this map? And Groth, Groth was like... Being the individual who claimed to have an informant that led to the warrant that led to the raid. So, uh, Groth was like, I don't recall the entire time. And then he, you know, there was no way to... I think uh, at that point, he... 
I think that was when Flint got contempt. Uh, I think it is. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That all happens. They bring in the FBI, um, like forensics, uh, like bullet forensics guy to go through the entire, um, like, here's where all the bullets were. Here's where these shots were. It was like literally impossible for this one shotgun that, or one shot that went to the ceiling because someone fell from the chair and, you know, shot it. So so Groth and a couple other members of the police, uh, are at the door. One of them, I believe it is Groth, shoots through the door, hits Mark Clark. Mark Clark falls to the ground as he's falling. He shoots through the door. The door is opening during that. And then another member of the police shoots through the door as the door continues to open. And from there, the raid continues. And that is the sole shot that is fired by the Panthers, according to bullet analysis done by the FBI. Yeah. Um, they call up a few other folks. Uh, Hanoran came up. Um, they were trying to ask him, hey, did you get paid off? Or not paid off, but like, did you talk to the FBI about this raid specifically? You know, because they knew at that point the FBI didn't want the um, the gang in vet GIU, the gang in what, I don't know. In- investigation unit. Yeah, they didn't, they... Which is primarily just the gang uh, violate their civil rights unit. Yeah. So, you know, he w- they were trying to push Hanoran on this um, specific thing. And Hanoran was like, no, I don't recall. Uh, Black Panthers were, you know, they had guns and I had no legal rights to do this warrant. Blah, 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 blah. Um, by that point, Hanoran try to run for mayor and I think to like also be a congressperson and just failed. So it was just to me vindication yeah. like this fucker tried to like be all this law and order shit and just you know just became like a, a an irrelevant figure really quickly. Yes. Um and it was part uh part and parcel to the tactics that the PLO took that probably sunk Hanoran. Uh, yeah. Because they were they were very good about talking to the press. They were very good about um, getting the press to air um, the statements of uh, the people who had been subject to the raid and the cover-ups that the uh, city and the FBI were doing. Yeah. So um, they also called up uh, O'Neill. O'Neill confessed that he... O'Neill, before you go in, O'Neill being the FBI's informant who had spent a year prior to the raid uh, informing on the Black Panther Party um, to the FBI and had, uh, after the raid, spent another year informing to the FBI about the Black Panther Party. Yeah, so... Um, O'Neill, uh, was in the Black Panther Party, like, I think a little bit before Fred, I think, and he was the one to really, um, he pushed trying to have, like, an electrical chair or some shit, or, like, all these, and a bomb. He built an electrical chair. okay, he built it, and Fred was like, please take that apart. Also, you're acting like a fucking cop informant, so can you stop? Yes. 
But also, like, Fred, if someone's acting fucking sus, yeah. why, do you, why do you continue to promote them? Yeah. Um, so uh, he also, O'Neill bragged about, like, doing crimes and all this other shit. And I, I remember, like, the chapter I read, and they were talking about that. And I was just like, why does that fucking matter? And then I'm like, oh, because he, that's kind of his way of, like, um, the FBI kind of used him. It was like, oh, you know, he's a street smart guy. We can use him because he knows how to, you know, blend in with whatever. So um, O'Neill said, you know, testified and said, I, you know, made the, create this map. Um, I gave it to Mitchell and I was keeping an eye on them at 2337. I didn't know. He said he didn't know when the raid was going to happen or that the raid or a raid was going to occur. And he kind of said he didn't really until like 1990 before he died said like oh i may i regret that he like really didn't say he was just like yeah he died and like i felt sad but money mm -hmm. um and then uh they called up some black panther folks and i think they just were recalling what happened during the uh the raid and this is where I got kind of confused at the end. So I guess Perry, Perry did some some shitty shit shit throughout the entire trial. Um, He's a piece of shit. Like and he like blocked j the jury from listening for certain things. He like told them like get out, and then they'd have this whole discussion. And he purposefully yeah. was taking the the FBI's side constantly. He was rephrasing, um, like, what were supposed to be neutral court documents in favor of the defendants, the defendants being the FBI. He, uh, he was a piece of shit. Um, find a judge near you and redact them. So through all this entire court case that lasted for, we don't remember how long, years, he dismissed the jury and then kind of made then he just made the judgment himself and dismissed the case and that that was it so so but before we sorry i was uh, yep. running to um my my fridge to put the uh lemon juice away um so before we 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 pass by that the jury had spent 4 days at, oh, yeah. at a hung decision there were a couple members of the jury who were for the uh, prosecution, but the majority of the jury was against the prosecution and for the defendants. Um, and this indicates that the evidence that the prosecution had put forward was sufficient to hang the jury. But then Judge Perry dismissed the case that there was insufficient evidence. That was the dismissal that he took at the recommendation of the defendants who were the state, who were the FBI, who were the police, after hearing this case for, I believe at this point, 18 months. Yeah. So, like, I, I'm kind of joking when I say, like, redact your local judge, but redact them. So... Um, and if you're into electoralism, um, you really should research your judges because they matter in this case. 
Yes, yes. Vote them out. That's what I mean by redact, right? Yeah. So yeah. now here comes the appeals. Um, they knew Perry was a... They got evidence that Perry was compromised. Like he said yeah. straight up, yeah, like, they're not going to win this case. Find, like he, he said that in court, that like you're not going to get a fair trial. He said to multiple people outside of the trial that the FBI had nothing to do with this and there was no way that they'd be able to prove it, which like implies that he was in, not impartial to them trying to prove it. Uh, redacted judges, folks. So they go to the Supreme Court. Um, they get, there was a couple decisions, like it was a lot of, uh, here's this decision, here's this reversal, this, like dissenting opinion about it. Um, it turns out one of, the pers one of the judges on the Supreme Court or the Seventh Circuit, I say Supreme Court, I really just mean the like Seventh Circuit mm -hmm. Chicago mm -hmm. court. Um, mm -hmm. Turns out one of the judges, Judge Pell, was a former FBI agent, yes. which they did not, um, I didn't know this, but I guess you get a resume of each of the judges or something. And yes. he didn't disclose did. that. Yeah. Which he was supposed to, but no, because uh, he was the conservative judge who wrote his dissent, and conservatives don't play fair because conservatives are conservatives are fascist folks. Conservatives are fascists. Like they they may dress up their their desire to to rule over your body and over your mind and over your rights as like we're just trying to to limit the the role of government. But at the end of the day, most conservatives are fascists, and you should treat them as such. So the they win their appeal seven one, and they're back in court, baby. Um, and it's funny because like oh, yeah. this part of the book is like really short. It's essentially they're yes. back in court. They prove they got the FBI. Well, okay, one their one of their lawyers, John Montgomery. Yeah, to settle. And yeah. that was a rift between Haas and Montgomery because mm -hmm. Haas was like, uh, I want to, um, like, we need to prove, prove, like, prove this fucking I, shit. Yeah, Montgomery convinced a bunch of the other clients that, hey, I'm just going to get you guys some money. It's been... Montgomery also, like, he had, like, shown up occasionally as a part of the trial, but he had, like, dipped out pretty quick. And then he came back, stole half of the plaintiffs, claiming that he could get them a settlement faster. Yeah. And then proceeded to basically do none of the work for, for, for any of this. Like, uh, there's a calculation towards the end of the book where it's like, like 85 to 90% of the work was done by PLO and like 10% of the work was done by Montgomery. But he was seeking to get 45% of half of the eventual settlement. Yeah. So there was that. Um, anyway, long story short, they get the $2 million and the, the FBI didn't have to admit anything. The FBI was yeah. about to hold out too. They didn't want to put up the money. Yes. So the FBI finally caved and put up one third of the money, the rest of which being supplied by the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago. Um, uh, 
But yeah, they they eventually settled. I wish they had continued on to trial just because, like, you know, I don't know. Because, like, they settled in, like, what was it, 82? Yeah. And the mid-80s and early 90s were fucking rough time for everyone, but in particular, a fucking rough time for Black people and a really fucking rough time for revolutionaries in any form. So I yeah. can't I can't see things going like as much as as much as the judge that they finally got in front of after the appeal and then going to trial again like I feel like he was willing to be fair like I just don't know that this trial would have like gotten its fair due in the mid 80s when everyone was like, 69 was so far ago like this the, we've had the 70s and now we're in the 80s let's just let's just do cocaine and then put black people in jail wait yeah we've always also, been doing that. also like the other part was the financial burden that was on them they had to pay for all this shit and that was like the really major part yeah. Yeah. was paying for the transcripts and like all that shit which i like didn't really consider but like oh okay yeah Thirty-five thousand pages at a couple bucks a page yeah there's just no way yeah. like there's just no way um that they could have um, could keep going they also had to pay back all the other people like all the other different organizations that helped raise money yeah. so like first off folks uh when the rev comes and we are We've abolished uh, the the existing state that we exist in. If there are still courts, with their, which there probably should still be, uh, transcripts should be free. Transcripts should be provided to everyone, not just the people who are involved in the case, but all of the public. Um, but at minimum, transcripts should be free. So, yeah, that's essentially the book. And um, at the end, you kind of get the sense that, or not the sense, but Jeffrey and, you know, Hampton family are still very close. He still goes over to, like, um, Mother's Day and stuff like that. And I thought on the very last page, uh, let me pull it up, the very end of chapter 48, and I'll read it once I get to it. Um, chapter 48 also kind of has a like what's people doing right now a lot of them are dead <laughs> um, oh, sorry the epilogue had a lot of um, where are they now and a lot of folks like Perry apparently Judge Perry was um, fucking dead fucking dead too they were like you can't have any more cases that are super complicated because you just suck at them you are limited to five cases that are five days or less yeah so which also like listeners listen to the five four podcast that's the number five dash the number four um the number of judges that we have that are in the range of having alzheimer's is fucking goddamn scary and that's another sorry go on no you're fine you're fine Oh, I was gonna joke that um that's another um Jimmy's podcast plug minute. Oh yeah, no fuck. Like 
at, at this point, I might as well just list all of the podcasts I listen to in like the show notes. Oh my gosh, let's let's not. Anyway, it, it's only like thirty-two. Ah, no, gross. I'm um, gonna count. All right. So, um, at the very end of the epilogue, um, he's down at their house during, um, I think, uh, a family reunion, and he's, uh, it's written and quote. A few minutes later, I stood up to leave. We hugged, and I start, and I started towards the door. But there was a question I had to ask it, ask her. After all these years, what do you think? Our, what do you think our lawsuit proved? Without hesitation, Iberia replied, "They got away with murder." Yes. And they did. They did. They continue to. So Unre- unrelated. I listened to forty-four podcasts. I cannot wait till later on this year, where that number ticks up higher and higher. Each month, I at some point I'll be unable to read. <laughs> I would oh. feel so sad. We have to cancel the podcast. It'd be horrible. I mean, we'll never hear how the listeners feel about it, so it'll be fine. This was set up this way purposely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, if you're listening, by the way, we hate you. Wow. I do not endorse that. I disavow Jimmy. That is bullshit. I love JK. Well, people probably listen to this podcast. That might be some friends. All all 12 of you. We love you. Love you. All right. So, thanks to Netflix, there is this is not an ad. Um, There's the. Not an ad. Not an ad. Um, there was that movie that came out that I am totally. Judas and the Black Messiah. Yes, and thanks to that, there's been renewed interest um, in the FBI's involvement with CoinTelPro and the. But Black not Black. increased renewed interest in Revolution. Yeah, because once again, so far as, as, said, aware. as as I said, people are too lazy. Um, mm-hmm. Uh. I, I know I, that's reductionist. Anyway, um, so there's also new, um, I guess, more detailed um, notes about the the involvement the FBI had with uh, Quintel Pro, and I think um, O'Neill too. Yes. Yes. So a lot of it is standard shit of. FBI tried to uh, pretty much um, sow discord between the SDS and the Black Panther Party. In particular, being the group that became the Weathermen. Yes. Well, the SDS also split, and that that the split those folks became the Weathermen. Yes, but that being the context. Which, yeah. By the way, if you don't know about the Weathermen, we'll discuss that in a bit. Yeah. And then um, there was a whole, they had like a thing on Nation of Islam and they were like, well, they already fighting. So we don't really need to do anything really here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they tried to make that, circulate that coloring book, you know, try to be like, oh yeah, it's from them. That coloring uh, book being the coloring book that portrayed uh, members of the Black Panther Party killing cops. Yeah. Which we now know it as a FBI creation, yep. and something that Fred Hampton specifically refused to 
um, circular. Yeah. Um, so they uh, essentially circulated that. They tried to do that shitty letter that was like they didn't do because I think they were just like, this looks so bad. Just Was that the letter to the young lords? Yeah. Yeah. I tried to talk all street and it was just really bad. And... Yes. This this letter was essentially um putting forth the idea that um the Black Panther Party was trying to get the Young Lords uh leader killed and uh was written by a bunch of white guys in uh nineteen sixty-nine. So just guess how it sounded. Yeah. Um Let's see. Apparently, O'Neill also helped with getting folk panthers arrested, and like prior to the raid. Yeah, um, he also um, so he moved up as like chief of security, um, and then he said he turned it down, saying that par- the party is full of informants and he wants no part of this job. So he, you know, tried to definitely sow discord there. By saying everyone's an informant. Mm-hmm. Despite him being an informant. Yes. Um, and also showing up in like newer cars, newer clothes than everyone yes. else. So basically, uh, if you're a revolutionary group and one of your members has funds that they do not appear to have a reasonable explanation for, redact them. So what he tried to do to also pass it off, like, oh, you know, it's from me robbing places. And it's still like, but really, though? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um. Anyway, like, the paper, honestly, the new information is just kind of like, oh, this is how much further they, FBI, were pieces of shit. It was, I, I didn't really gleam a whole bunch new. I guess it kind of expanded O'Neill's role. I was like, oh, you're still a piece of shit informant. Good to mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This this was not a one-off. This was, in fact, something he was doing constantly both before and after Fred Hampton's murder. Yeah, so, you know, in the book, um, he was trying to figure out what O'Neill's, like, per- why did he do all this? Like, why? Because he, he saw that O'Neill was the one who sobbed the loudest. He was a pallbearer. You know, he obviously seemed like he generally liked Fred. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he just it was just like okay well like why stick around to um arrest further folks and i guess it's just the money was so good i mean yeah. that's kind of you got praise for it you know you got extra bonus money like yep it's part of the the purpose of meeting people's needs is reducing the uh, the desire to create counter-revolutionary action so if if you have if you have an individual who feels secure in that they have they have home they have food they have education they have medical care they have what they need they have power they have heat they they have leisure time they they more likely than not are not going to be a piece of shit like o'neill yeah so um that's the article 
Uh, yeah. Oh, by by the article, we mean the Jacobin article regarding the FBI documents that were sourced via FOIA requests that was made in um, 2020. Yeah. Yes. There's also a um, Rev Left Radio um, episode devoted to these FOIA requests where they uh, discuss the FOIA requests um, with the individuals who made the requests. Oh, awesome. Yes. All right. So I'm going to flip these two questions because I feel like the sec or first one is better for the end. Um, so uh, what is Fred's legacy? Um, as someone who only encountered Fred Hampton since 2019, um, I would say it's nil, it, which is really frustrating because like I encountered Fred Hampton through a podcast, um, in, in particular, the dollop. Um, and prior to that, I had no idea who Fred Hampton was. Um, like it, he may have been mentioned in, in high school, but it, if so, it was in such a passing manner that it did not elicit a, a further further review or deeper delve. Um, the majority of, of Black struggles that are represented in the U.S. media do not contextualize uh, where they are coming from or what history they're engaging in. It's just, it's frustratingly non-existent, I feel like. Yeah, I think um, I th some part in the book where they mention that if um, killing the leader doesn't kill the, you know, revolution. And mm -hmm. I feel like, unfortunately, that is it untrue. Does. Yeah. And, you know, the legacy really, honestly, is unfortunately just if you try to go against the status quo you will be killed and yep. that is i think you know obviously what cointelpro was trying to do and i think it succeeded so as a flip of that the only lesson we should learn is that everyone should try and go against the status quo because they can't kill us all fair yeah you know you could join a union um you could yeah. Uh, uh, help out mutual aids. There's mm -hmm. ways to help. Um, join the IWW. Join Foods Not Bombs. Um, give money to your local bail fund. Uh, redact your local judges. Um, redact <laughs> your local spicy. prosecutors. Number five on spicy. Uh, redact your local police. Number seven. Wait, shit. Six on spicy. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. No. Your your local police are are. I don't know. Maybe start there. I don't know. So choose, choose who you want to redact. Oh my goodness. We don't endorse. We endorse redacting in Minecraft. That's yes. That's all. Yes. Um, yeah. So the follow-up question is, have uh, the changes that revolutionary folks in the 60s have been achieved to some? Some people would say, yeah, we did it, fam. We have a Black person 
in the White House as a president. Now we have a woman as a vice president. We've we did black it. senators. Yeah. We've had black representatives. We've had black mayors. There's been a black mayor in Chicago. Never mind the fact that the black mayor in Chicago was like coming down on like George Floyd protests. Ignore that. Yeah. Um, We're fine. We've made it. I would say if you were if you were a liberal in the 60s, yeah, things are just as they should be. If you're a leftist in the 60s, no, nothing has changed. And yes. yeah. Yes. Um, so this wasn't listed as a question. I 100% agree with everything you just said. But um, at what point would, you, would should we be begin to struggle for armed resistance like hmm. like as far as as far as capitalism like it's only gotten worse race relations have gotten somewhat better but at the same time the um, institutionalized racism is still the same if not worse for the fact that the the social relations have gotten better because the social relations now allow the institutional structures to be like hidden behind like oh we have black officers and we have black like prosecutors and we have black uh jailers and we have black wardens and we have black what have you like at, at, at what point do we engage again in armed revolution? And not, I'm not talking about like, like fucking neo-Nazi, like, like, like church shootings or like Walmart shootings, like, like actual, like, and also once again, like fuck Timothy McVeigh. Cause like he is coming from, once again, a white supremacist perspective. But when do we struggle against the state? It has to be way more mass incarceration, like way more. And also, um, hmm, I think people are just too, are, are just not able to stomach violence. I think that's really the main thing of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. it like i just people like it has to get bad really like really quickly Mm -hmm. like um you know with this covid stuff things are not great for a good chunk of people and there's already a fuck ton of people dead but there doesn't seem to be a sign of anything people going to go against the state Mm -hmm. Hmm. so Basically, what we're thinking is 3040, when climate change has made um, ecofascism the reality for conservatives. Yeah, pretty much. Like, until people, I guess, start bombing, like, you know, oil rigs or some shit, and like tankers or whatever. Um, like, I don't think that will be as much as a, a focal point. I think it's going to be like resistance against like aggressive like immigration attempts 
by non-citizens. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Like, yeah. Yeah. As I always repeat, it needs to get real bad. Like, um, I'll go back to the Russian Revolution because that's... So, you know, they're in a war. um, Millions are dying. And no one's able to get food. And no one... Like, I think even if they were working, it was just like they couldn't even buy food. Mm -hmm. Things were going up in price, like, really quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone was trying to avoid going to the fucking, like, going to the front lines. And, you know, so it's just, we just don't have that. Yeah, we've been to, like, you know, the Iraq War for fucking almost 20 years. But, like, that's such a small subsection of our fucking population. Yes. They've they privatized it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, and then, okay, there's like, you know, folks coming from like the border or whatever, but like that's still a small subsection of folks that are getting like, quote unquote, inconvenienced, right? Like, Ameri- mm-hmm. like, uh, like Americans. Sorry, landowners and yeah. people who are engaging with the. The, the work of rehoming these people. Yeah. So it's just, and then like with COVID, we had these lockdowns and then everyone complained to get it not really locked down, but we're locking down, but we're serious this time. We didn't even fucking enforce shit. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, people just don't want to get, people don't like being confronted and people don't like getting violent. It's just kind of how it is. And even if someone did, you have one person just fucking punched them in the face and that's like kind of it. Like, yeah. and everyone curses. It's just such a, <laughs> some people will say we're soft, but it's, yeah. I don't think, you know, people just want to be able to keep doing what they're always want to do and not have anything change. Agreed. I, um, I have hope for a revolutionary future, but the, the practical side of me is, concerned yeah i mean it's valid to be concerned things just are not looking fucking great at all yep yep um on that topic um every lib who is is swearing up and down we can we can figure out climate change by just investing in renewable energy um that renewable energy is coming from somewhere the materials to create that renewable energy are coming from somewhere. Um, the uh, pushing off of pollution and uh, the um, impacts of that to third world countries for your investments in renewable energy uh, don't mean that uh, it's, it's carbon neutral. In fact, it continues to be carbon negative. Uh, as long as there is a uh, gas or petroleum run engine, like that, we're we're going to be confronted with with climate change, and as a result, we're going to be confronted with uh, catastrophe, and as a result, we're going to be confronted with an an ecological and political uh, confrontation. Yeah, I think. Um... 
you're right that climate change is what is going to force the issue and it's going to happen quick. Mm-hmm. One day you're like, ah, yes, things are going normally. And the next is like, oh, I can't get certain things at the grocery store or mm-hmm. um, gas has shot up $5. Yeah. Or like we are now seeing a, a flood of refugees due to uh, this hurricane or this earthquake or this like change in tidal patterns that is resulting in like it's it's going to be slow and quick at the same time like, yeah like it's as as like rain patterns change uh, that we're going to see changes in like food growth and we're going to see changes in migration patterns and movement patterns as those change we're going to see like lockdowns and restrictions in movement of individuals and uh, restrictions as far as the um the gaining of refugee status and the gaining of citizenship and as those proceed they're, they're just going to ramp up and up and up uh so Redactor judges. All right. Slightly back on topic is kind of last questions. Um, was justice served? No. No. Uh no, no, fucking no. Um money does not return the dead bodies, money does not return the revolutionary spirit, money does not uh make correct the influences of the FBI. Um, No. In in fact, justice would be served by uh, the... I'm just going to redact everything that I'm about to say and let you go. Okay. So I agree. Justice wasn't served. The FBI didn't really change any tactics. They didn't omit anything, really. Mm -hmm. And all it... Honestly, all it really served was to show that the United States government will come down hard on you. And, you know, as we said earlier about, you know, the leader of the revolution doesn't, you know, if he's killed or if they're killed, doesn't, uh, you know, um, yeah, Yeah. it just, that's just not really true. So like this book is very like thrilling in a way like with the you know it's very interesting on the intricacies of like discovery and like really understanding how these court procedures work but it's very bittersweet like yeah they got money and that was life-changing money for a lot of folks there but at the end of the day they have to live with like the trauma of you know gun violence and the wounds that they have and you know seeing the cut kind of short of, yeah. of like 13 years of potential Black Panther Party growth. Yeah, and seeing a friend and comrade die, you know, it's never, it would never be enough. So, yep. I guess to end this, um, this book is probably like, it's very important. I wish I could, I read this in high school. Yes. Um, because I think. <sighs> I understand, I guess, you know, with high school or, you know, schools are trying to, like, have confidence or whatever in, like, your local government, like, your state government. 
but it's just kind of like the propaganda pack. Yeah, it's 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 this book would just shatter all that, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but not only that, but just how fucked the justice system is, and just how having one bad judge will. Yeah essentially fuck you over like it's not even like the jerk like okay yeah the jury selection but like the judge can seemingly do whatever the fuck they want so you know cool i'm glad that we're ending on a slightly downer note but this shit is just rough it's always going to be rough it's never going to be yeah and then i mean the only hope really is to try to get involved with your local community and that might mean you know to what you're comfortable with like uh, donating money, um, volunteering your time. I know that's difficult now, but you know, volunteering your time, um, you know, yeah, or money, or um, redacting your local police, redacting your local um, prosecutors, redacting your local uh, city officials based on their positions on things, redacting your local state officials, redacting your local um, state legislators, redacting your local national legislators. Um, This is a call to redacted, um, that you redacted, you're redacted. Oh, man. Too many redacts. Okay, Um, so... (laughs) To continue our more bummer bummer streak of bummer, um, the next book is Against the Fascist Creep. Oh, then, hooray! Yeah. yeah. I'm uh, going to fucking die reading that. Oh my goodness. And this is why... I've gotten like 50 pages into it. It's warning. Warning to both listeners. Warning to you, Angela. A lot of fucking names. Yes! <laughs> A lot of fucking places. Names. Yes, I'm excited. All right. Names are going to fuck up. I'm going to mix them up. Everyone's going to be like so mad, but it doesn't matter because you can't talk to us. In fact, you can reach us at we don't care at we're not listening to you.com. Anyway, um, so right. It's against the fascist creep. And then finally, we see the the clouds part and it's not sad books um masters of doom which is going to be about john Carmack and um the other butt that i always forget yes half of which say trans rights are human rights yes and um jonathan strange and mr norrell which is a take a take up sorry a um Oh my so goodness. a fiction book for the year. Yeah, it's a fiction book for the year. So that's the We're one. Allowed yeah, only one. One, one fun book. Yep, yep. There's, there's going to be no revolutionary or like political ideas in this fiction book at all. At all. No way. Also, Jamie, I'm going to call you out right now. You got to start reading this book a month before it's 700 pages. You cannot read 700 pages in two weeks. Um, to be fair, I read this book in a week. So I can read 700 pages in two weeks. God damn it. I, now it's a challenge. Fuck. And remember that books are good. Good. Actually. Actually.